0: Hi, welcome back to Chai with Ping. This is Ping. This month, we're featuring three episodes of LGBTQ Communities Voices. And Steve, today, he's bringing his stories of how he uh, identified himself as a bisexual or queer, and also his journeys of being in a rural area in the US, and then how he strived to be himself and i find it very interesting and inspiring because before interviewing i didn't have much of the idea of how they grow up in in the us and then i find the series is especially meaningful and very educational before recording this episode i was kind of nervous because lgbtq plus issues has become very controversial and a lot of people either take one or the other side and there is not much of a dialogue or conversation between whatever side you're on Therefore, I thought of making this episode after one year and it's finally a big step and milestone for me to kind of tackle this controversial or very diverse issue uh, at this time. And actually, I'm recording this narrative on the 4th of July and everyone is celebrating in the US with a barbecue or hot dog because of the Independence Day. And I find... Because it is so diverse in the US um, and sometimes I don't understand enough, tackling this series of queerness is actually one of my goals to set up this podcast to create understanding between groups and we can all have a little space to hear each other out. So I hope that you will join me with a cup of chai, and then we can learn from their stories. Welcome to Chai with Ping. This is Ping Robert. In this podcast, I cover immigrant stories, cross-cultural experiences, and minority issues. Join me with a cup of chai and take a listen. Welcome back to Chat with Ping. My name is Ping and I'm so happy to be here and thank you so much for tuning in and uh, don't forget to subscribe because new episodes will come out every bi-weekly on Mondays. So if you're in Asia, it will be Monday evening. And then if you're in North America, it will be Monday morning. And so if you subscribe, you will always get a notification when there's a new episode. And also don't forget to follow or subscribe to different channels and follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And I would love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback or thoughts or ideas, feel free to shoot me an email or message. I would love to hear from you. All right. Today, June 2021 is a is a month for pride. So the LGBTQ uh, communities they are celebrating uh, their identities, and I I feel like this is a great time for me to educate myself about this issue. Um, I don't know enough, so I just want to put it up front. If I say anything which is offensive for the listeners, please forgive me. I am continuing to learn, and it's a lifelong journey. And today I invite um a special guest that I met on campus, and he's a doctoral candidate at the University of Denver, and where he studies social class and rural issues in higher education. So that's why we studied together, because I'm also interested in higher education. And he works for the EdTech company, designing online courses, and teaches research methods to online students. He right now lives in Denver, Colorado, the USA, um, and with his partner Mendel and his dog Hi, and thanks to the pandemic, a bunch of fish. Let's welcome Steve Jenks.
1: Hi, Ping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> I see you smile a lot when I'm talking. You de- you definitely can tell I'm struggling reading those words, right?
1: Well, they're little on the screen too, probably.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for um, being willing to share your stories. I know that sometimes sharing LGBTQ stories might not be the easiest, um, but thank you so much for uh, letting us know a little bit more about your journey. Of course. Yeah. So let's just get started. Can you share a little bit about your background? I, I know that I already said something about it, but you know, how you grew up or anything you want to listen and to know before we diving into the issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think my my background, it really plays into the topic today. Um, I grew up in a rural coastal town in Florida in the United States. Um, it was not a big town. Most people haven't heard of it. Um, it's pretty far from the bigger cities that have amusement parks or nice beaches. Um we didn't have a lot of people and we had about, um, we had three high schools in the county and they were all very spread out. Um, and I lived there for my whole life. So I grew up, um, I was born and I grew up within, you know, about 25 miles of each of the houses that I lived in. And, you know, it's not the kind of rural area where maybe there was a lot of farming, like, um, like uh, wheat or potatoes or anything like that. Um, We did have a lot of like forests and some brush and we did have some uh, things like horses and cattle, but uh, mostly we were a fishing town. So we had people that would do crab, uh, crab hunting or large fish in the the Gulf Coast area. Um, And then we also had a big power plant was kind of the big, um, big moneymaker for the town. A lot of people worked for that. After graduating from high school, I went to school in Tallahassee, Florida, um, a larger institution, Uh, went on to work in um, higher education in Tennessee briefly, and then in central New York uh, for a couple of years before I decided I wanted to do my PhD, and that's what brought me out to Denver. Um, in terms of, you know, growing up, I was involved in a lot of things. I was a a boy scout, um, did a lot of scouting with my friends. Um, I did a couple of sports. I did cross country for a short bit. I did rowing for a little bit. Um, I did social dance and, um, played like baseball with my friends, you know, those types of things. And then outside of that, I was really involved in, uh, journalism. I worked for my school's newspaper. I was really big into theater, so I acted a lot. Um, I did a lot of community service. Um, I was on an academic team where we competed against other schools. I was very nerdy. <laughs> I did a lot of school stuff. I was known for you know being smart <laughs> back in the day. Um, and then outside of that, I worked at a grocery store. Um, since I was 15, um, I worked for a store called Publix, um, where I did a lot of different things ranging from being a a bagger to a cashier. I worked the front desk. I worked in the deli. Um, I did a lot of different things to save money or to help pay for my own bills for my car and things like that before I went off to college. Um, The reason why I say that that was really impactful for me and this topic specifically with being a member of the LGBTQ plus community Uh, was that I really didn't have any uh, mentors or role models or anyone who I knew was uh, gay or queer um, growing up other than what I saw on TV. And those were usually really kind of negative stereotypes back then. Um, you know, nowadays you can go on to Netflix or Hulu and you can find TV shows and movies that really represent um, the queer community in a positive way. Um, there's a lot about like children in high school and their coming out stories and just being them their authentic selves. And that just wasn't something that I saw growing up. <laughs> if we did hear or think that we knew of someone that was gay, it was usually um, our family, like talking about that person in a bad way or saying to avoid that person. And, um, so I just didn't have any positive role models. And, um, for myself, I identify as bisexual or pansexual, where, which just means I have an attraction to anyone really, regardless of their gender. And because of that, like I am attracted to women too. And so throughout high school, I just had girlfriends and that was fine, but I knew that I was also, a little attracted to men and wasn't sure what that meant. Um, when I got to college, it was just a lot more freedom to explore and to do things. And I didn't have my family or my, my neighbors, in my small town, uh, to really kind of hold me back. I was able to be a new person and live kind of a different life there that nobody knew back home. um, and so I was able to explore more and met with people who were more open and were living their authentic selves earlier, and started to kind of explore what that meant for me. Um, when I would go home for breaks, though, like during Christmas break or our summer vacation break, and I went back home, like I had to just kind of leave all that at college and come back home and be the the same Steve that everybody knew and kind of go about what I was doing and answer questions that people asked and kind of like shy away from like, no, I don't have a girlfriend right now. I'm kind of focusing on school. Um, when the reality was, you know, I was like seeing some women and sometimes I was seeing boys and kind of like trying out new things. Um, and so that was kind of my, my upbringing and my, my background. And I didn't actually, um, come out. I came out to some friends when I was in college. Um, very slowly, even when I was in college and still exploring stuff, I was still very much like known as a straight person in most of my settings, but um, was able to kind of meet other people who were also learning more about themselves and exploring. And they also weren't out, as we say. So people didn't know that they were interested in same gender things. Um, and so we kind of just met like in secrecy on our own and had our smaller relationships until I was ready to be more open about that. Um, yeah, I didn't decide to come out more publicly or to really be comfortable in who I was, um, until I went to grad school for the first time uh, when I moved to Tennessee. Um, and then that was kind of the, the first step to trying to be a little bit more open and living more proud, so to speak. Um, and then the family stuff would come later.
0: What do you think is the factor that made you more proud or brave enough to to come out to some other people um, after you joined your grad school?
1: I think there were a number of things. Uh, one was I was even further from my family. So I had moved a couple of hours away to go to my undergrad institution. And then I moved many states away to go to my graduate program. And so I felt a physical distance that I think made things feel a little safer. Um, I was also kind of for the first time in a position of mentorship to other people. And so I was working in housing. Um, I was a assistant director for a dorm. I had a staff of about 21 um, undergraduate students under me, and some of them were also uh, queer identifying or were kind of exploring what they were doing too. And I just felt like it was important to be my authentic self in that space. Also something I didn't mention earlier on too, but when I was in my undergrad, I got involved in a lot of things. I was very involved as a high school student, went to college, still stayed very involved, probably too involved. I had a lot of things on my plate. Um, But one of the things that I did was I was um, an RA or a resident assistant. So I worked in the dorms. And when I was in my junior year, Uh, one of my fellow RAs was an openly bisexual woman who had a girlfriend at the time. And then at some point they had broken up and she was exploring things and we were very close. And I learned a lot about her life and how she lived very authentically. Um, And then there was a time towards the end of that year where she suddenly discovered when checking her credits with her advisor that she was going to be graduating earlier than she thought she was. And we thought we were going to like be friends for senior year. And then it turned out she had to get ready to go. (laughs) And we were um, both looking at going into higher education. She also loved working with students. She wanted to work in education. Um, And so she had um, applied like late to a program, but thankfully got accepted. She was super excited to do that. Um, But then over the summer, um, before she was able to start her program, she was in a car accident and unfortunately didn't survive that. Um, And it was really dramatic for um, all of us who were really close to her. Um, The university now has a special scholarship called the Heart of the RA Award that's in her honor because she just really cared about students and she was always her authentic self all the time. And when I went into my graduate program, uh, one of the things I was thinking about was her and how she just really radiated authenticity and um, being a positive light for students and a great role model. And I thought, like, I wanted to be more like her because she couldn't anymore. And so that was, you know, a really powerful thing for me to think about is, you know, she was inspiring to me and I wanted to be that for other people. So when I started that position, I immediately was open to my staff. Um, My staff knew who I was potentially interested in. Um, When I started dating someone, it wasn't a secret. I would bring him around and they would meet him and they knew to like ask me questions about how that was going. And some students were comfortable like coming out to me when they weren't comfortable coming out to the whole staff um, or the community. And that was partly because in the part of Tennessee that I was in, and debatably all of Tennessee, um, it's not necessarily the safest place for an LGBTQ person. And so many of them, like they would come out to me and some of them were out to the broader community and had plans to eventually probably leave Tennessee because they didn't feel like that was a supportive place for them. But for the, you know, three to four years that they were going to be at that institution, I was able to help kind of be supportive and mentor that. So, yeah, by that point, it kind of became more important for me to do that. And then of course, I was also just a little older. Um, I was like 22 through 24 when I was in my graduate program. So I was more confident in who I was. I knew what I was doing. Um, and I had mentors who were also more open and supportive and were able to provide that. And that wasn't something I had in high school and it I didn't really have it during my undergraduate career, but then when going into my graduate program, I had that support and so I was able to be a little bit more open.
0: I'm very sorry to hear about your friend. Wow. But it sounds like she has a lot of impact on you. And also you kind of brought out the impact to other people in in your graduate program. Were you ever afraid to walk out? Because I I do know like in Tennessee could be dangerous for some some of you guys. Um, Were you ever concerned?
1: Yes and no. Oddly enough, I mean, there was enough of a community in Knoxville where you didn't necessarily feel like that. There were like bars and clubs that had special nights and you knew that those nights were for you and you could go and be open and be yourself and all of that there. Um, They had a pride festival one year when I was there where they set up booths and they had, you know, like things that you could go see and they had concerts and drag queens and all sorts of stuff that... I just never would have thought would have been in Knoxville. And it was small, um, certainly nothing compared to what Denver did, but it was still there. And compared to other parts of Tennessee, I would say where I was at differed a little bit in that the university I was at was very big. And so it was very much a college town. There were a lot of like 18 to 22 year olds. And we kind of just know from society that um, younger generations are more accepting than older generations. And so So long as we didn't go too far from our little college town, we felt pretty safe there. I would say if we traveled, you know, more than like 30 to 30 minutes to an hour outside of where the college was, like maybe those areas, it wouldn't be quite as safe. And there were definitely some things where, like, I would feel comfortable going on a date with my partner, but maybe not holding hands on the street or like we can go do things together, but we wouldn't kiss each other in public. Like we knew that there were some limits And some things were like, we felt like we could be mostly ourselves, but we didn't want to push it. Um, So that was pretty challenging. But then uh, when I moved to New York after I graduated from my master's program, um, I went to a college town that was just known for being very liberal, kind of a little hippie town. (laughs) Most of it was very progressive and um, it was much easier to just do whatever you wanted there because it was more common.
0: When did you come out to your family? Because I felt like there is some pressure. Um, When you move away, you feel more relieved.
1: Yeah, well, so the family thing, for me personally, I thought it was very challenging because there was sort of like a feeling for me that I had kept it from my family for so long that it was difficult to change what I was going to say, because I felt like I had been lying for a long time. And it felt similar to even when you're just like a little kid and you lie to your parents and then you realize you have to tell them the truth. And it's like a really big deal to have to like own up to that. But this was like something that not only were you owning up to potentially have lying about, even though it never really came up, like, it's not like my family ever asked me like, you know, Steve, are you straight? And I said, yeah. (laughs) And we kept it moving. Like It just never came up. And so a lot of it was stress that I created for myself. And I think for many people, especially now, and especially if you live with a family that is generally more accepting or more liberal of other social things, a lot of people say, you know, I came out to my family and you know, they were very accepting. And it turns out like everything that I was afraid of, I just made up in my head. Unfortunately, that was not exactly my case, but it also was not as bad as some other people that I've heard from their experiences. So when, (laughs) this is actually a pretty funny story because it gets complicated. It could almost be a movie, I would say. When I was in my graduate program, I have a younger, well, I have a couple of younger brothers, but one of my younger brothers was imprisoned at the time. So he was an inmate at a prison and we were communicating by writing letters to each other. And I figured, well, you know, he's my brother and I've been seeing someone for a while and I think I want to like talk about it. And I think it's just time that I take the step and start slowly telling my family. So I wrote my brother a letter and just told him like, hey, also um, I have a boyfriend now. So here's like a little bit more about me and here is what his name is. And here's a little bit about him. Okay, I love you. Bye. And like folded up the letter, send it away. Well, when you send a letter to a prison, it it takes a while, like it has to get there and then they read it and they like screen stuff and then it eventually gets to the person, then they can write a letter and then they have to like go through the process of getting a stamp and mailing it back. So that took probably like a month and a half. So that was getting close to maybe September, maybe August or September of my second year of my uh, university program. And I got a letter from... My brother, and I was like, Okay, well, I've told him, like, I think I need to like tell other people. Um, but I was reading through his letter and he was like, Oh, like, you know, thank you for telling me that's so like interesting, like whatever. Don't tell dad. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, I was kind of already planning to. I mean, I didn't send him a letter back, but I was like, Well, I mean I have to tell him, but my brother being afraid of how my dad would react was kind of like reinforcing to me, like, "Oh, this is probably going to be challenging." And in my mind, um, in terms of like my family structure, my my biological parents—they got divorced when I was very young. My mom remarried a couple times. My dad remarried once. So, in terms of people who I felt like I needed to tell, I needed to tell my dad and my stepmom, and I needed to tell my mom. So. I was like, of all of the people I need to tell, I think my dad is going to be the toughest one. So I should just rip the bandaid off, tell him, and then I can deal with everybody else later because I'm sure it'll be fine. Called my dad, had the normal, just like checking up. How are things going? How's school? How's your job? All of that went fine. And then I was like, and um, I started seeing someone and he's like, oh, like tell me all about her. I was like, well, uh, his name is Kevin. And I just like paused and he was like, Okay. I was like, okay, so um yeah, I'm seeing a guy now and just I wanted to tell you about it. And he goes, Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And I I just don't know what to say really at this point. And then he just got really quiet and I was like, Okay. And then we just kind of sat there in yeah. silence for a while. And I was like, Okay, well, uh, I'm gonna go. And you can reach out to me when you feel like you're ready and you've processed everything. I love you. Have a great night. I'm like hung up and that was it. So there wasn't really like closure in that moment.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, so then I didn't hear from him for a while. He was trying to figure things out, trying to process everything. Time goes on. Um, I think we had gone past like, like my birthday had passed. We went past like Halloween, but like we wouldn't call each other for Halloween anyway. Thanksgiving passed, which is normally kind of a big holiday for us. We got closer to Christmas time and still hadn't gotten a phone call from my dad because it was the holidays. Like um, when you're in prison, you can have visitors, but not all the time. It's like special occasion. So they went to go visit my brother for the holidays. So they went to the place where you go. And it's not like you see in TV where like there's a piece of glass in between you and you get to see someone. Where I live, like you go to this like little warehouse and there's like little cubicles and you sit in it and then they bring up a computer and you basically have a zoom call with an inmate that's in another building somewhere else. So I don't get to actually see them, but you get to have an interaction, you know, similar to a computer thing. So they apparently were like chatting, having a good time. And he was asking like, you know, how are all the brothers doing or whatever? And then he apparently was like, so like, how's Steve? How's Steven doing? Oh, and what about his boyfriend, Kevin? And at that point, my stepmom didn't know about me dating a man yet. Um, and she was like, what? <laughs> um, and my dad uh, sent my youngest brother who um, he was probably in like, late middle school, maybe early high school. He was like, hey, why don't you like, go get something from a vending machine? We're going to like stay here and talk. And so they like sent my youngest brother away. Um, and my dad was like, okay, so, you know, Stephen called me back in August. He said this, um, I didn't really know how to process it. And then that kind of spurred or like was the catalyst, I guess, for getting them to call me back. Um, because then my stepmom wanted to talk to me and she was just very upset, not because I had come out, but because I didn't feel comfortable to tell her. And so she actually had the reaction that, you know, I had hoped for (laughs) more of, of like, of course, I love you. We'll always support you. I can't wait to meet him, that kind of thing. And it came out also that part of why my dad was so silent was that he knew I was telling him first. And it was now a secret that he had to keep because it wasn't his place to tell my stepmom. So then he like felt bad about having to keep a secret from her. And so all of that kind of transpired. But then to so that, that point, everybody kind of knew. My dad said he needed some time, but he also just kind of felt bad about keeping it from his wife and so from that point forward, we were more communicative. We caught up with each other. Um, They did meet my partner. Eventually we went down and um, like visited. Everything was great. Um, Called my mom and told her, and she was much more like, Oh, that's so funny. Like, you know, I also identify as bisexual a little bit because of like some things that I did was when I was younger, like I much prefer men, but like, you know, I've done things with women, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, mom, no, we're not having that conversation. Um, <laughs> it's affirming, but uh, TMI, <laughs> too much info.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and so by that point, you know, all of my immediate family had known mm-hmm. my extended family were not super close with. So it wasn't yeah. like important for me to call my grandma or anything wow. like that. I'm like, yeah we're all on Facebook. Now people will see things when they want to see it. They'll make their judgments, whatever. Um, and by around that point, um, one of my closer cousins who was like really well known with my extended family had come out as a lesbian. So, you know, I wasn't the first one, thankfully. And then on my mom's side of my family, I have a cousin, um, who's a trans man. And so like we have queer representation all over the place in different ways. Um, and so that was kind of the, the beginning of that. And then, you know, from that point forward, sexuality really wasn't that big of a deal. And in recent history, the bigger challenge has been um, with all of the other things going on in the, the world and trying to explain things to my family around racism um, and like trans rights and things that are happening that they don't necessarily connect with as much because it doesn't impact me directly those have been more challenging, but you know, they are supportive of me and like the things that I want to do, but they, they still have a little ways to go in some other, other areas.
0: I think I'm still very much like inspired with everyone's story. When, when you guys share how your family reacted or processed it, because I think for your dad, he was feeling awkward for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. and and for his himself he also has to take some time to was he looking for a right answer (laughs) to respond to
1: you you know maybe he might have been thinking about like what is the right thing to say how do you be supportive um you know when processing it with them after the fact like because he did say something about like he just didn't know what to say or you know he didn't want me to get hurt and so he was concerned because now this like opens up like a reason why I could potentially be hurt by someone and you know I had to point out and remind him like this isn't about you yeah, <laughs> like this yeah. is about me yeah. and like yes you might be concerned for me but I'm the one that is living with it so that's always been a little bit of a of a challenge for that and you know I'm the well Yeah, I won't say I'm the only one. I mean, I'm the first one. I could have other like some of my other family members may feel that way, but I was the first one to like say something. And so I think it was just, you know, I didn't have role models growing up of what it looked like to have a positive experience with someone who was LGBTQ. And I don't think that my dad had interacted with anyone who was openly gay. Like the only thing that we had were things that we saw on TV and we had some movies that we would watch as a family that had gay characters and we we're like, Oh, ha ha. Like <laughs> that's funny. Um, but I don't think that he had interacted with anyone in a way that prepared him for what that would look like. I don't think he knew of other adults that had gay children and how to interact with them in that way. So I think there was just a lot of like, he didn't know. And they're from a different generation. I mean, nowadays, if I had a kid and I didn't know how to do something, like I could go to the internet and find a whole bunch of people that could tell me how to react to that. Like the internet was still coming around when I was younger and my dad just isn't on the internet that much. So, you know, he didn't have a support system. Like he might've said something to the guys at work, but I don't know that they would have been helpful (laughs) other than just like, Oh, that's tough. (laughs) Like, what are you doing about it? So, yeah, I think that was probably the the biggest part of it. And, you know, one reason why I felt safe to do it was because I was physically further away than I had been before. But at the same time, maybe the conversation would have been much faster if it would have just been like, I'm going to sit both of my parents down on the couch. I'm going to sit on the other couch and just say it. And we're just going to like be in the same space. I don't think that it would have been as awkward. I think part of why I chose to do it was that I knew if it went bad, it was just going to be hanging up a phone and it wasn't going to be like, you know, not that I think it would have happened, but I've heard of other people that have come out and there's been like a physical reaction from their parents where, you know, somebody hit them and kicked them out of the house and said, never return. Like I really didn't want to take the chance that that would happen. By this point, I was already basically an adult. I was financially like on my own. (laughs) And so Even if he was like, this is the worst thing you've ever said. I never want to hear from you again. I would have been okay. It would have been much different to like hear words like that in person. So I was somewhat like doing it in a way that was protective for myself.
0: Thank you for sharing that because that, wow, that's very honest. You already talked about there is some emotional stress. So that's why you did it with your family on a phone call, were there any challenges that you have faced being, uh, who you are or your identities?
1: I mean, there were a few times, especially when I was an undergrad. Um, even though I wasn't out, there were things that I would do that people would assume like were attributes of a gay person. Um, and even at that point when I was like, no, I'm not like, you just have to take my word for it. Um, I had tried to join a specific fraternity in my freshman year and they like someone had taken me aside and was like, Hey, we would just rather like you didn't come back. And then later it came out like it was because they thought I was gay. And so I was really like hurt about that. Um, And then I ultimately ended up joining another fraternity that was like very awesome, very accepting of lots of different types of people. Like they embraced me for who I was. um, And like everything was awesome. And I'm still involved with that fraternity today because they were a place where I felt like I could be my authentic self. Um, I never really felt physically in danger. Like I never felt like someone was going to attack me on the streets or anything like that. But I'm also like, I'm like six foot one, a a larger person. And I've always like, like even at my smallest, I was like 190 pounds. So I'm not like, I wasn't a small person. So most people wouldn't like try to fight me anyway. Um, but even if they had, like that's just not, it just isn't something that happened. Um, I would say the trickier part is more of like emotional or mental stress. Um, when I go to different places and I'm not sure how it'll be handled, um, if I'm going into a setting where I know I'm going to be there for a while, like a new job or a school or something. I'm usually pretty open, like right out the bat of here's who I am. Here's a couple of identities that are important for me. That includes my partner. Like, here's who he is. Um, and that way, like, if anybody has a problem with it, they know up front and it's not going to be a surprise. There doesn't need to be any um change in how anybody treats me and if it's an organization where that's not okay like they can say unfortunately like you don't align with our values or something and i'll know that I, that's not a place i want to be anyway um when we travel to other cities we have to kind of be cautious of like you know where are we going and is it okay to be open there um most places we've gone to are pretty liberal and we can feel comfortable to be ourselves but there's some like countries where you know gay people are still killed um so we wouldn't I mean, we could visit those places, but we could not like show that we're together (laughs) or we would die. Um, And then there's other places that are like super gay friendly and like people can go there and be super like open. So we sometimes have to think through those things, which is not something that I think straight couples ever have to think about. Um, You know, I think it would be... it's definitely not the same. So I don't want it to sound like I'm equating it directly, but you know, if there is um, especially like during the pandemic, you know, an Asian couple, if they go into certain spaces, like they could feel physically threatened by white people who are ignorant and don't understand (laughs) how the pandemic is happening. Um, We have that same feeling in a lot of spaces and it can just be for like general political reasons some especially in the south like anywhere that's um very heavily christian and what they call the bible belt where there's just a lot of very christian areas um you can't be as open there because you can be denied service or you know there could be attacked and so we just don't vacation there like we're not going to go visit alabama we don't have a reason to go there um and so we we have to plan a little bit more carefully when we're doing that to avoid potentially having the stress that comes with not being able to be our full selves
0: i think this is a very vulnerable piece and that's right if if i am an asian i feel the different dynamic and then if you're a bisexual person you will feel a different dynamic and there will be something that we've never thought about because we are not in that identity and
1: yeah wow okay and it's complex because when when you go into a public space you can't hide that you're asian we can see it we know, yeah, when I go into a space, I have to choose if I want to reveal that or if I want to keep it a secret, and what does it mean when I have to do that? So it's an identity that I can reveal if I feel comfortable doing that, or I can keep it a secret. and it's also like not always important for people to know. So you know, I don't have to when I go to the bank to cash a check, I don't have to tell everybody there that I have a boyfriend. <laughs> like I don't have to reveal it to everyone. But there are some spaces where if they ask like, hey, you know, we're having a party. You can bring a plus one. Are you going to bring your girlfriend? And I have to like decide, okay, do I correct them or do I just say I don't want to come to the event anymore? Or like, is this the time that I come out? You have to do that over and over again. But it's not in the same way that, you know, people will look at me and they know I'm white and they know I'm male presenting. They know I'm a larger person and I'm tall. They know I wear glasses. Like there are certain things that they can see and they can make assumptions about. And then there's things that you would have to ask me or I would have to, you know, say. In the same way as like you know, if we were going out for pizza and somebody ordered a whole bunch of pizza and it just had pork on it, and we had someone that was Muslim but they didn't look like a traditional Muslim person, that person would have to come out and say, "Oh, I can't," or they could just say, "You know, I'm not. I'm not going to eat that because I don't eat pork." Or they could say, oh, I don't eat pork because I'm Muslim. And then we'd be like, oh, you're Muslim. Like, that's interesting. That's an identity. We didn't know about you. So the invisible identities, I think, can be really challenging because you have to negotiate where it's safe to reveal it and where it's important to reveal it. Um, And then in some spaces, you know, whether you're proud to reveal it, you know, when I get a new job or when I'm in class or, um, you know, if if I'm meeting people that I know I'm going to be engaged with for a while, I think it's nice and fun just to like acknowledge that I have a partner and that he might come to some things and he would love to meet you all and that kind of thing. And so I want to bring that up sooner just because I want people to know that. And I want people to ask me about my personal life sometime and they wouldn't be able to do that unless I was vulnerable about what that looks like.
0: Well, thank you for opening up because it's definitely more layers to think about as we probably won't engage ourselves when we are in the privileged zone, I would call that. Could you share some moments that the people have been supportive for you or they could be genuinely caring?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think generally just people who are inclusive, like they use inclusive language. So it might seem weird for some if you're not used to doing it, but I always ask people like, Oh, do you have a partner? Like, do you want to bring them to something? Um, I use language that doesn't make assumptions and I appreciate when people do that for me too, because then it allows me to say, yes, I have a wife or yes, I have a boyfriend or a husband. Um, and it just doesn't put people in a box that then they have to like, correct you because that's awkward for everyone. Um, Creating inclusive spaces. So, you know, not, not like creating events or having discussions where it's very pointed in a certain way where somebody might feel uncomfortable participating, being open to apologies or, you know, apologizing for learning. Um, I think, you know, one of the great things about um, this podcast that I hear with you and your guests is, you know, if there are things that you're learning too. And so, you may not ask the right questions, but because you're asking questions from a perspective where you are genuinely interested um, and a caring perspective it makes a big difference as opposed to like asking questions because you are accusing someone of something or because you want to know that information in order to harm someone. <laughs> so I think that that is all a big part of it. And the other um I mean, the biggest piece is just you know people will come out on their own terms if they if they're going to come out to you, they'll choose when the right time is and how they want to do it. And so if you suspect someone might be a member of the LGBTQ community, keep it to yourself. <laughs> don't bring it up and don't like ask someone awkwardly or beat around the bush. Like when they want to come out, they will. And if they never come out, then that's also their choice and like that's that's fine. The other ways that I think I have seen support is just, you know, generally good allyship like Sometimes, especially now, I think in recent history, it's become, you know, people say it's performative to outwardly express your support of something, whether it be Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, um, Pride being a, an LGBTQ ally. Um, and for companies and, and certain celebrities or something, maybe it is performative, like they're just doing it for whatever reason. I think it still means something. You know, if you do support people who historically have been oppressed in some way, feel free to say that. When you, you know, when we're in my team meetings, you know, we have straight cisgendered uh, people in our teams who for Pride Month have said like, hey, you know, it's Pride Month. Here are some cool activities that are going on. As a reminder, they're open to everyone. And like, we're supportive of that. And even though it doesn't affect them, like hearing it, means like you can feel like you can be yourself in that space, which could in turn empower someone to come out if they felt safe in that space to be able to do that. So those are kind of the the big things I would say to be supportive. Um, the other thing for myself and for my partner, we both identify as um, bisexual or pansexual is, um, you know, just believe people when they say whatever they identify as um, sometimes it changes. Sometimes people learn more about themselves. Um, I thought when I got to college, like, oh, well, maybe I'm just gay. And like, I've always liked boys and like, what was I doing with girls? And then as I like further developed my sense of self, I was like, oh, actually, I'm just I'm attracted to both. And then finding like, oh, I'm attracted to like lots of different types of genders. You know, that has been important for me. But oftentimes when people will see me and my partner, they're like, oh, there's those two like they're gay. And like, yeah, we're technically a same sex partnership, which is. Gay visibly, but like we're just more than that. Like more than the label you ascribe. But there are people even in the LGBTQ community where we'll be like, oh yeah, well we actually identify as bi, and they're like, yeah, but you're together, so you're gay. I'm like, well, no, we're we're still bi. Like (laughs) you can't change that. Um, And there are many, you know, men and women who are in opposite sex couples that you know present as quote normal straight families and have children and all of that, and. Um, One of them may also be bisexual, but they chose their partnership with a different gendered person. So, you know, queer people exist in a lot of different spaces. They're in your religious groups. They're running schools and organizations. And uh, some of them, you know, might die before they feel comfortable being able to come out because they don't want to face persecution. And then others of them will be very loud and proud and support them in, in the life they're doing
0: well said thank you steve that that was very insightful and thank you for sharing that because i also learned from your sharing is to be genuinely asking questions and i feel <laughs> wow just just in this whole hour i felt like i learned so much already um, from your stories but because of the time how, um do you want people to find you
1: Yeah, if people want to find me and connect, um, especially if, you know, you're listening to this and you think, you know, you might be a member of the LGBTQ community and don't have someone to talk to. Like I said, one of the reasons why I choose to live more out now is because I didn't have someone that I could look up to or talk to about those challenges. Um, Please feel free to reach out to me. I can be a confidential ear to hear from you. Um, You can find me on Twitter um, at as in Steve, J E N K S three, five, two. And you can find me on Instagram at uh, centaur C E N T A U R of O F A T T N. It stands for centaur of attention. It's a pun. Um, you can find me on there. Um, and so if you wanted to connect, uh, feel free to find me on either of those social media places or connect with ping. Um, yeah. and ping can find me too.
0: Definitely. So I'll put all the handles in the episode notes so the listeners can take a look and click the link I provide. And thank you so much, Steve, for coming to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Chai with Ping. If you think someone will benefit from this episode, don't forget to share it with them. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you like my show, you can buy me some chai with small donations. Details are in the episode notes. Till next time!